You're listening to the Catholic Psyche Podcast. The Catholic Psyche Podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not intended to take the place of medical or mental health treatment, therapy, or diagnosis. You should always consult a trained mental health or medical professional for such treatment. You are listening to the Catholic Psyche. This is Chris and Deacon Basil. Welcome. This is it's just the two of us today. I'm starting to see a trend here, you know? It's like just just it's almost like people have lives and can't always get out here to uh, to record every Friday night. We won't hold it against you. Uh, well, super absent for the uh, maybe a little bit. Growth mindset episode. Yeah. But you've been you've been oh. steadfast. Yeah, you know, I I um I thought that was a good one. Thanks. Appreciate yeah, it. I, you know, I mean, Appreciate if you don't have the great Basil, uh, Basil the Great, if you will, yeah, yeah. Um, involved, I suppose it's I suppose it's a good one. It's but, as good uh, as you can do without Basil the Yeah, great. you know. <laughs> so, uh, what we're going to talk about today is the concept of, you know, starting next week, um, both in the East and the West, unless you're on the Ju- Julian calendar, and we can talk about the Julian calendar a little mm-hmm. bit if, if we go there, but we're, uh, we're talking about... Um, Lent. We're starting Lent, you know, and great the, Lent. Great Lent, the great fast, you know, um, as as we in the East call it, but you know, Lent in general, um, in the in the West as well. And you know, in the East, we started on Monday. We call it Clean Monday. Um, we don't have ashes, so um, I think in the Maronite Church, you call it Ash Monday. We right? have ashes. You have ashes. We have Ash Monday, but it still starts on Monday. Yeah, I remember Maronite. Um, Maronite uh, seminarians when I was in seminary. I went to seminary with a couple of Maronites, and they would always have, you know, they'd always have to start fasting a few days before. Um, it's yes. the same thing with the East. Uh, there's a lot of reasons why that why that came about, but essentially the Eastern Catholic churches start fasting on Monday. The West starts on, on uh, Wednesday. And, you know, there's some different kinds of things about it, but I think the one thing that I really wanted to talk about from a psychological perspective, because this is the Catholic psyche, right, is the importance of of fasting and the importance of, you know, kind of what we have talked about before, but, you know, smart goals, a growth mindset, you know, this idea of really going into it eyes wide open and trying to really get something out of it. Yeah. Uh, Lent is primarily a, a time of, um, of spiritual uh, anticipation mm-hmm. and spiritual growth and, um, you know, um, a recognition in some ways of, um, one's faults and and of course a recognition of what we all owe to our lord Mm -hmm. with that said the three pillars of lent at least in the west right prayer fasting and almsgiving well i certainly know of a church father and uh and uh the desert that talked about the same same thing thing. yeah are all uh evidence-based psychological treatments right you know i was i was just talking about this and i know we're going to go down a a big trend here but i was just talking um with a friend about this um a non-clinical friend I think the Cartesian dualism split... Cartesian, like Descartes. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah precisely. Um, split the human person into um, the body and the mind. But I think what else it did is it split, at least psychologically within the Catholic Church, it split the emotional and the spiritual apart. Mm. You know, And now you've got this idea of like, well, I go, to, um, I go to my priest for my spiritual direction, and then I go to my therapist for my, uh, for my mental health stuff, my emotional life, and then I go to... I keep them um, separate. I don't right, keep I keep my them emotional separate. life. Yeah. And we, th- th- we talked about this in the, the hidden episode, the lost episode of The Catholic Psyche. The lost... We recorded it two weeks ago. It was brilliant. Lost it. Completely didn't save. We talked about spiritual dryness and how 
Um, some Catholics have either an inordinate expectation that they will always feel emotional joy when they're in, uh, emotional right. ecstasy when they're in prayer, or um, just like a general n numbness altogether. You know what I mean? Like we. Yeah, that it's one or the other. Yeah, and and no nowhere in between. Yep. Yeah, and I think that's exactly the case. Um, in that that we see that, and that's actually a, a huge kind of problem within the church because. Psyche, this is my this is my contention. Psyche, right, yeah. means soul. Yep. Right. Yeah. And our friend uh, from the Color of Thought podcast uh, has a good episode on this. I think his first one where he talks about psychology and what that word means. Right. Absolutely. And that's right, Daniel. We've brought you up twice in the last three weeks. You're welcome. Yeah. No. Yeah. Um, his overview of you know where does psychology come from? Psyche, you know, for for the Greeks would have been the principle of life. And in Aristotle's Danima, his work on, the, that's the Latin name for his work on the soul, it's not like what we think of today as soul, right? It's not like right. from, um, you know that movie Ghost? Yes. With, um, Maybe. <laughs> oh, man, who's in it? Uh, who's in Ghost? Is it like, I don't know. What, I mean, we could always Patrick just Patrick like, Swayze, I think. Patrick, yeah. okay. And, he, and he's like this, you know, it's not like Patrick Swayze in Ghost. Uh, that's not what your your soul is. Your soul, a soul for in any living creature is the principle of life, and so it's going to be embodied, and it's going to include the emotions, um, the the passions, the sensations, and in the case of humans, it's going to involve reason and the will. Right. And I use this as an oversimplification. I'm sure Daniel will be sending me an email about this, and um, right after this uh, goes uh, airs. Yeah. But what I would say is that it's also the metaphysical side of the human person, so it's not just the emotional. It's not just the spirit, like the sort of what we would classically call spiritual, but it's both of them integrated together. Sure. You know, yeah. and that's really quite important because when yeah. we talk about things right. like, like, I, I sometimes feel like people come into therapy and they're like thinking about, you only talk about certain things with your therapist, or you only talk about certain things with your priest, or yeah. you only talk about certain things with your, with your physician. And this is completely arbitrary. Yeah. Lent is not about simply splitting the person up and being like, well, I I'm giving up something, therefore it's like me earning my salvation in some way. It's actually about I'm integrating my physical, my physicality through fasting yeah. into my experience of the spiritual and psychological. Oh, yeah, I love that. Lent is a time of integration. It's a I time really, of integration, yeah. I really like that, Deacon. I've been thinking a lot about integration lately because I, did, I recently did a two-day training in IFS, Internal Family Systems, which is a type of ther a therapeutic... Uh, modality or method developed by Richard Schwartz, mm -hmm. where you think about a person as a system of parts that each have their own like individuality. Yeah. So like the part of you, Deacon, who is the critic or the part of you who is like the firefighter could be interacting with the world in such a way that causes trouble. And it was all very interesting but metaphysically, it kind of left my head spinning because it's like you imagine those Calvin and Hobbes comics where there's like little Calvins running around his brain navigating or like you imagine that movie Inside Out where inside mm -hmm. her mind there are like the five Paul Ekman emotions, but they're personified and they like pull strings and they coordinate activities. Right, right. Not, but the human person is a complete and total unity. And, uh, and I don't think Danny will call you out on all. I think uh, call you out at all on, on uh, suggesting that the soul is the metaphysical principle of unity. The soul is um, in some ways similar to the nature. It's that by which the thing is a unity and a human person is 
like the greatest unity in the yeah. natural world. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think, um, I th well, we, we are having Daniel on here soon, I hope, okay. um, on our side um, as well. And, and maybe he can answer some of these things. But I think, I think the other side to it that, that is particularly important, at least from my thinking on this, is that, you know, when I do physical things... They have a spiritual or psychological, and I even don't, don't even like, like we've said, don't yeah. even like that di differentiation, but yeah. they have this sort of psychospiritual component to it. Yeah, and when yeah. I do psychospiritual things, they have a physical, physical component to it yeah. as well. So, for example, fasting. Yeah. Fasting has a spiritual component to it, but it also has a physical component. And emotional. And an emotional component, yeah. yeah. And I think the important thing about this is that, like, when I'm feeling empty physically, I have that longing emotionally mm. for the Lord. When I have that physical experience, I have those emotional learning longings as well. And I think, you know, one of the key things about this is why prayer fasting and almsgiving? Why those three and not prayer fasting, almsgiving, and, you know, something else? Racquetball, I don't know, right? <laughs> Whatever it is. Why those three in particular? And I think the thing is, is that it's about, fasting is about giving up things bodily. Mm. Almsgiving is about giving up the things of wealth. Mm -hmm. And Vain, you know, and, and prayer is about giving up my esteem that I have for myself. These are the three principal things it's to like fight a, the three, the three yeah. irascible um, thoughts, the three irascible illogismoi of, of gluttony, avarice, yeah, and pride, and vainglory. Vainglory, like particularly, vain not pride. Not pride. Well, so it's like a simplification of like the Evagrian method. That's exactly it's like what the Evagrian fast track. It, that's exactly what it is, and it's so tragic to me that we do this so rarely in the in um, sort of we have such a uh, can I say half-assed uh, version of this, at least in my life, I should say. Yeah. You know, and usually uh, Easter, we call it Pascha in the East, yeah. um, but Pascha comes and I'm just like, oh, crap, I should have been fasting or I should have been doing all of these, these well, things, you know, throughout that, all of it. Hopefully that also is humbling. It is, so and that's, that's, and that's good too. Yeah, that's good yeah, too. Being glory and so what's the difference between really quick? What's, so you said vainglory, not pride? Yeah, so um, from an Evagrian, which, you know, of course, the brilliance of it, and, and I appreciate your little look of You know, a vainglory um, is the seeking the esteem of someone else. Okay, sure. Right? Sure. So the idea being, I seek the esteem of other people. This is why I wear um, such a sweet-looking hat at oh, liturgy, sure, right? Sure, Actually, sure. that's because my parish gave it to me, but that's neither here nor yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, you, you are seeking the esteem of other people. Now, that's, I think, a very important side of that. Related to, is pride. similar to narcissism, actually. I, I think vainglory and narcissism, as opposed to pride, is actually very important. Yeah, no, that's, that, um, that makes sense. Yeah, a, a writer that I really like on narcissism often says that narcissists uh, never feel guilt, only shame. And you think about that distinction, shame is like, I feel bad because I've been found out. Mm. Guilt is sort of like the classical, you know, literary sense is like a Dostoevsky novel where the characters are losing sleep and anguishing over their inner conscience, um, nagging them that, that they've violated the divine law in some way, right. even, though, even though they've gone undetected. So yeah, that kind of esteem in the eyes of others, right, is, is, right. is the, the aspect of it. It's not about being... Um, good, it's about appearing good. Right, and the lack of empathy in the other person, mm -hmm. um, you know, for, for the other person, which is, is a characteristic of 
uh, narcissistic personality disorder. Yeah, yeah. You know, Using I, people I, as I, means to I think that's so important, that yeah. exploitive characteristic sure. to, to relationships. So, you've got that aspect to it. Um, so, that's, so, yeah. Fact, pride is slightly different in the sense that it is, like, my desires for greatness just for myself and for no yeah, one Yeah, which, you know, for, for, for in the Western tradition, and, and in the Eastern too, um, certainly for Aquinas and Augustine, pride has pride of place among the vices. It's yeah. the most dangerous one. Evagrius, they got that from Evagrius oh, as well, right? Surprise. They have all things from surprise. the great... Evagrius probably, the... probably got it from the gospel writers, you know, or from... Well, the probably, Pauline probably, but, you know, I mean, um, I, I think that's there. But I think... So I think prayer key, helps with vainglory. Prayer helps with vainglory. Because you focus on how you actually are, not how you appear to others? Is that... How God sees you, Ooh. as opposed to the way... You know, you see yourself. That's cool. Yeah, I think that's really important. And the importance, and we've talked a little bit about this um, on our episode two, which I think was a foundational episode for us, but our episode two yeah, about yeah. about this, that these three vices, these three logismoi, these three evil thoughts lead to all of the others. Yeah, certainly. And pride is the one that run, runs through all of them. Yeah. You know, just like I think Thomas Aquinas would say. Yeah, well, Thomas Aquinas even says that the like lesser vices, some of the lesser like the carnal vices are lower than the like malicious vices right which are lower than the like blasphemous vices right um, and this is this is exactly you know, the well, case as well. This maybe he got it from Evagrius, or maybe you know the maybe. truth. They just both hit at the truth. I think that's it. probably more. Which, accurate, which is yeah. you know, it's like you know, it's like certain mathematical theorems were discovered independently in India and in China. It's one of those right. things. Uh, at any rate, one thing that you and I deal with often is the way that the, our clients come in and feel a lot of embarrassment and, and humiliation over their failings in, in the sort of carnal vices department. Right. Like people feel a lot of shame and guilt when they drink or look at pornography or whatever. Yeah. Uh, St. Thomas thinks that's actually built in, you know, it's certainly all a result of the fall, but it's built in by God to protect against the greater vice of pride. Yeah. So how cool is that? Is it like even the lesser vices can like protect you from hell? You know, I've, I've said this before. I think we've said this on mic. Like, something radically shifted in, like, 2005, 2006 for me. I was going to confession on a regular basis. I mm -hmm. said this on the Marriage in Real Life, the last mm -hmm. Marriage in Real yeah, Life yeah, episode. Yeah. episode. And it's just like, something changed in 2005 where it was a bunch of women and then a little, you know, Basil Balky. It wasn't Basil at the time. But, yeah. you know, it was a little Basil Balky and then a bunch of women in the confession line. And then all of a sudden it switched to almost all men. And Basil Balky, right? Oh, so and you're making like a sociological observation. It was entirely a sociological observation. Interesting. Um, and I'll let you all kind of figure out what changed in about that time frame. And of course, it's pornography. I don't know. I mean, that's anecdotal, but no, it's entirely anecdotal. But, but I think I'm sure that the smartphone, yeah, contributed in large part to people suddenly realizing they have porn addictions. Well, and I think, but the key about it is that it's easy to know you've sinned when it's something as obvious as pornography. Yeah, and that's actually the the reverse side of this, right? In some ways, your porn addiction protects you against the greater sin of pride. In other ways, your porn addiction hurts you by blinding you to the myriad of other ways that you're doing uh, evil in your life. But they're, they're less obvious to you because they don't have the palpable felt sense of your porn addiction. That's exactly it. And I think that's that's spot on. And, and I mean, I've maintained that sometimes that... It is because of some of these more obvious sins that souls have been saved. Not that it excuses it. Not mm -hmm. that it gives it a justification. And I want to be very clear. Not that someone should be 
sort of saying, oh, well, Deacon Basil is endorsing some kind of porn addiction. No one is endorsing sin on the Catholic Psyche podcast. Right, exactly. But I do wonder if souls have been saved because people were sinning before 2005. Men were sinning before 2005. Yeah. Oh, this is a really good point. So, um, uh, oh my gosh, this is so good. So, yeah, a lot of, um, uh, I've spent, I've done my time around traditionalist Catholic circles. Mm -hmm. Spent some time in them. Mm Mm-hmm. You'll often hear people cite... Dominos Vobescum. Uh, that's right, man. <laughs> Deus Volt. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, you'll often hear people um, quote the uh, Marian apparitions at Fatima. And uh, among them is this, um, this kind of dark, prophetic uh, observation. Mary, you know, gives the, the, child, the, the seers in Fatima that more... She says more people go to hell for sins of the flesh than for any other kind of sin. And that's, you know, caused Catholics a lot of difficulty because they're like, oh, sure, you know, that's me. Um, so I started to think about why that is, right? I did a little bit of research on this. And some of the earliest commentaries by priests on that Marian apparition, um, and we can, I can get some, some links to put in the, in, the, in, the, in the text here of this podcast um, at the bottom. But um, there was one in particular where, where the priest, uh, you know, who was obviously very, who, who was sort of an expert in this area close to the events, uh, surmise that the reason this is the case is not because of how egregious these sins are, it's because of how unconfessed they are. Really? Yeah, so that was the explanation. Now, again, uh, even something as big as Fatima, which had a, a place in my own conversion, is private revelation, and so Catholics aren't bound to accept it, and um, so this isn't part of the deposit of faith. But let's assume for a moment that this was actually Mary telling us something true that we need to know. This doesn't mean that that's the worst sin. It means that um, in 1917, uh, when Mary came to Fatima, Portugal, that was before people were confessing, you know, masturbation or extramarital affair or whatever it was, or, 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 or drinking too much. You know, this, these were yeah, the, yeah. The private vices as yeah. opposed to like murder or stealing that were kind of more public vices. And I really think now, at the very least, even though Catholics have so much pro- uh, trouble with scrupulosity, at the very least, you see... Um, a real recognition from the lay faithful that these are sins I can confess. Yes, I think that's absolutely the case. And I think there was a difference of a, a view of what confession was hmm. at the time and what the Eucharist was at the time, um, where it was much more withdrawn, you know, that, that, that you really wouldn't have the Eucharist on a regular Sunday in most, in most cases, um, that this was and still is Eastern Orthodox practice today, uh, where most people don't receive the Eucharist except during Pascha. You know, and I, I think that's really important. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of thinking about this, and I, I know we've talked about uh, fasting. I think the one really important thing about fasting is to say there's this, there's this process. I think, I think the East and the West are the exact. I, I know they're the exact opposite on this point, right? The West says this is the minimum that you're supposed to do. You're not supposed to eat meat. Um, on when on Ash Wednesday and all Fridays during Lent, right and mm-hmm. Good Friday, mm-hmm. right. That's the minimum. Mm-hmm. And I think the problem with that is when you say that it's just the minimum. Not that not that there's a problem. I think there's actually some wisdom in this. But what when you say it's this is the minimum, then it gives this impression of like, well, if as long as I do this, then I've somehow fulfilled this sort of legalized obligation. Mm. Um, and you know, I, I I'm totally supposed to do this, so therefore I did it, right? Yeah. In the East. It's the exact opposite where we say this is the sort of maximum that you're supposed to be doing. And the maximum was set in the monasteries, um, especially um, on Mount Athos. And so that it's means like, hardcore. oh, 
you know, I think I've done it once yeah. um, in my life, the entire Eastern Fast, and I will not be doing it this year. You know and yourself. I'm just going to say that right out, out, um, you out know right, right what out. You're capable of. And and the reality is, is that I was um, newly married and didn't have kids, and it was I was able to do it at that point. That I'm not able to do it this year. Fair. And so it's not like you're an uh, you're obliged to do the entire Eastern fast. The Eastern bishops, especially in my eparchy, say this is this is still the minimum, but the, we're called to more. That's really uh, interesting. We're, in, we're, in, we're intended to do more, and uh, so you know, for example. Things like no meat for the entire fast, the entire Lenten period, and ours is two days longer, you know, with that as well. There's no meat for that entire time and no dairy, you know, for that, that entire phase. That's the ideal. But how it shakes out in your life will look differently. And that's an important point. And, and that frustrates people. Um, to paint broadly, it frustrates Western Catholics. Yeah. Because there is a sort of legalism that we like. Um, anyone who studied philosophy, even in particular Christian philosophy, knows that ethics is not a science. Like physics is a science. Right. Ethics is not a science. Do you know why? For 10 points. According to Aristotle. Um, well, of <laughs> course I know why. Um, but I wanted to give you the ability oh, to, you so uh, to, to look intelligent on this point. You're really uh, exercising that um, protect, protective uh, stance against vainglory very well. You know, I, I um, pride myself on my protective That's stances against r- vainglory. ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> no one's going to enjoy this episode. It's just us being, like, annoying. Uh, uh, so, um, for Aristotle, science deals with uh, universal truths. Right, so there's certain universal principles in physics uh, mm-hmm. that have you know to do with like you know um, change, like all change has these characteristics, right? Or, or or metaphysics is a science because there are certain universal principles. Ethics deals with particulars, right? There are universal yeah. principles that guide particular um, practical decision making expressions. Yeah. yeah, of that. So. And that doesn't mean it's relativism, though. No, of course not. But it also doesn't mean it's the kind of ethics that, like, uh, a lot of, um, you know, uh, modern philosophers do, where it's like you want sort of like a paint-by-numbers, you know. And this is actually, this was the downfall of Thomism. This was the downfall of Thomism. The manualist tradition tried to codify ethics to be the sterile manualist science. Yes. Uh, But it can never be that way. This is why, in the great wisdom of the East, you you are typically very closely connected with your pastor and certain questions that have like kind of a universal easy answer in the West, in the, in the East, you know, you you and your pastor will work through them because family situations differ, people's situations differ. So if you want to know, so yeah, of course, you know, Aristotle, you know, um, before even, you know, Christians baptized him, recognized certain things were always wrong, like killing, killing innocent people is always wrong. But if you want to know, should I stay in the job I'm in um, or should I try for something different knowing that that could risk instability for my family? Right, that's not a clear point. There's no moral manual in the world that's going to tell you that. Right. Yeah, and so with fasting, there's no, you know, Catholics want the moral manual. Like, put in your BMI, put in your age, and put in, like, your, your Myers-Briggs type. And right, and the you, Pope is going to personally yeah, tell tailor, you what yeah, you're yeah. supposed to do. Yeah. So avoid meat every other day, and then you can have... Right. No, you, you have to figure that out. You have to know yourself. And, and with the help of your pastor, you have to find some, something that works for you. Yes, absolutely. And, and, and it's important to say that the perfect way in which this is expressed is in monasteries. 
Mm. You know, that, that, that the, the monastic life is the sort of perfect life in these kind of ways. Now, I'm not saying that everybody needs to be a monk. I am not a monk. I should not be a monk. I would not be a good monk. I would go to hell if I tried to be a monk. <laughs> right? Can we say that? Okay. Wow, you're coming clean. I'm coming real clean. I mean, I, I, I tried. I was in <laughs> seminary for three years. But, you know, that's not, that's not me. Now, the important thing about this is to say that though that is the ideal, and I need to kind of strive towards that. So hopefully your pastor in the East has a deep connection. Your cleric has a deep connection with a monastery and sort of experiences that and is deeply rooted within that Eastern tradition. That's right. Now, that's the maximalism. Uh, no meat, no dairy, no wine or oil. So no alcohol, except in Russia, um, beer was always looked at as non-alcoholic, which is really quite funny. <laughs> well, they're, for them, it is compared right, to right. vodka. Compared to, compared to vodka, yeah, absolutely. Spirits. But then you also have no, um, no fish, except on Saturdays and Sundays. So no wine, oil, so no fried food, and no fish on Sundays, uh, Saturdays and Sundays. Wow. And that's, except on Saturdays and Sundays, rather. And that's, you know, pretty darn intense. Yeah, it is. It and, really is. um... You need to kind of work this out with your spiritual father and your, you know, by extension, most of, for most people, that's your pastor. You need to work that out in, in sort of excruciating detail so that you can really spend some time thinking and praying through that. Yeah, between those two poles of absolute minimum and absolute maximum is probably where you're going to land somewhere. And, and just biologically. Yeah. There's, right. there's some place in between. And yeah. I think that's really kind of important because, you know, it took me several years before I could do the entire fast yeah and 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 there's a danger in pushing yourself to that maximalism just as there's a danger in the laxity of settling for the bare minimum absolutely the danger in the maximalism is that it'll actually become some uh, an occasion for pride i i knew a, a christian back uh, you know in my hometown who talked about this he wanted to fast completely the whole week leading up to easter right and every year he would get a little bit closer to meeting that goal until one year he realized I'm doing this for me. Right. I'm doing this right. as a sort of rigorism. That's so true. And then on Easter Sunday, he's like, and I'm the, the complete, you I know, don't need a savior. Ubermensch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't need a savior. Yeah, right. Exactly. I've saved myself. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah. is like the exact, the exact opposite, opposite of the yeah. point. Yeah, so <laughs> don't, yeah, if, if pushing yourself is just going to be your way of um, sort of, you know, um, celebrating your yeah. own your own human achievement yeah yeah save that for you know the olympics or something that's this isn't what lent is for right yeah the lent lent is not a uh is not you're not getting a gold ribbon or a gold medal no um on easter sunday because you did everything so well no such thing right it yeah. doesn't exist now i do think that's really important because i think there's there's a certain characteristic to it where we we compare ourselves to other people and uh we compare ourselves to what these saints in the past have said and I think it's really important to say that this, the lives of the saints is not nearly as clear as um, certain um, books on the subject make it. Um, when you have only a paragraph and a half to describe an entire life, yeah. you're not able to go into detail about what in, I don't know, 1342, what the certain saints' sort of fasting yeah, characteristics yeah. were and how it was different from 1345, you know? Yeah. And I, I think that's really important. You, you miss the, the nuance. You miss the entire nuance. Now... We've talked a little bit about fasting. I do wonder if we should move on to um, almsgiving very quickly. Yeah. I remember when I was in youth ministry, I would hear from kids very, very often, in my family, we don't give something up. We do something good in addition during Lent. And my response always was, great, that's the whole point, you know, and... You should do give alms, and that doesn't necessarily just mean money. That might be, mean doing more 
good things. Time, your time, time, give up your time, your, your volunteer. Yeah, absolutely. And that also, but that doesn't preclude fasting. No. There's no, and oh, that's a good point about fasting. Fasting doesn't just mean food. Fasting doesn't just mean food. Yeah. Um, it can be fasting from, you know, it can be fasting from, from television. It can be fasting from radio. Yeah. One of the things that, that I do on a regular basis is yeah. fast from, um, you know, radio and, and things in the car because, you know, you've got 30 minutes. Are you, can you sit in silence? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Can the you year I did a, a couple of years, I think I've done a secular music fast during Lent. Yeah. So just, you know, sacred music or, or quiet or, you know, books you, on tape or something. You know what I do is I, I do, um, so I do, especially when I have like a 30 minute drive, what I did last year was I had a 30 minute drive up to Longmont and a 30 minute drive back, you know, yeah, every, yeah, yeah. every day. I'm well aware of that. Uh, you're very well aware of that, I'm sure. And I would listen to, um, Dostoevsky. Um, one yeah. book from Dostoevsky oh, on the nice. drive up and then sit in utter silence on the way back. Oh, that's great. And that, that's very you know, Russian of you. Well, thank you. Um, no, I think that's really, you know, that's been really it's kind the of... Darkest in- fiction. Yeah. Uh, notes from the underground on the way up and then right. just the darkness of my own thoughts on the way back. Right, yeah. exactly. But I think that's that's important, you know, to, yeah. to have it both ends. So you do something uh, positive and you do something... Um, Negative in the sense you take it away. You take something on, you, you give something up. Right. Yeah. yeah. So that's, you know, fasting, you give something up, not necessarily just food. Um, almsgiving, yeah. And and I wanted to bring some um, research into this because, you know, the positive psychology people like yes. Martin Seligman have actually done a good job of tracking what makes people happy. Uh, we probably should have mentioned this kind of stuff on the self-care episode, but there's some research that suggests, you know, when you do the kind of self-care, like, um, you know, like... Some, some you treat yourself in some way to some sort of pleasurable experience, like a lavender bath. I think was like the a lavender bath is a classic example. Yeah, the 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 effects last about as long as the bath, maybe just a little bit after. I think yeah. if you do that on a regular basis, you you prevent burnout. But but the effects, the, the there's sort of like a very short term of uh, mood specifically. There's a short term mood effect. Um, that comes from a lavender bath. But if you go to the soup kitchen and volunteer an hour, the mood effect of that activity can last all day. Right. Yeah. So it's like a, a psychological um, intervention. Obviously, that's not the primary reason. You know, we aren't like a bunch of Ayn Randians, like, ah, oh, this is in my best interest. This is in my best interest to volunteer. <laughs> like, no, you're doing it for the common good or whatever. Right. But it also helps you feel better about yourself. You know, this is this is the brilliance of that. Um, you know, we talk about that foundational study. Um, um, it's from the University of South Africa, but it actually happened in Puerto Rico, mm. where they, you know, they utilized prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, and particularly the Jesus Prayer, oh, yeah. as clinical interventions for things like anxiety and depression. depression. Now, I'm not saying that you should, if you are struggling with anxiety and depression, just simply think that Lent is going to solve all of no. those issues. I'm saying go to therapy, go to, you know, find a, psychother- a psychotherapist, um, a spiritual director, like go through all of that. Psychiatrist the even. Psychiatrist even, yep. Um, but I think that's important to say that they um, spent quite a bit of time kind of thinking about, okay, how does this, how does almsgiving also help my psycho-spiritual life? Mm. And how does my struggle with depression or anxiety, how is that helped from things like almsgiving? And this comes out of that same kind of mindset from mm. from uh, from um, both Evagrius, but also you know the the the, the Martin Seligman yeah positive um, psychology positive psychology stuff. movement yeah. that it's that it's a both end you know and that that when you call yourself out of yourself yeah that's right that's exactly it then you're able to you know gain a benefit and I sometimes think you know just by the by I sometimes think. 
anxiety and depression is a fixation on myself. Oh, 100%. And that's not 100%. like that's not that's not like shaming towards no. people because you have to have a little bit of maybe a little maybe to justify a little bit and rant um, that you you have to you have to have a little bit of yourself in it. Yeah, well, it's just an observation about how, what it is. Yeah. Uh, yeah, oh my gosh, there's a great article on, I read years back about why, you know, a lot of artists, uh, great artists, have struggled with depression yeah. and sometimes even tragically ended their lives with suicide. There's an article I read once on why David Foster Wallace, American writer, fiction writer, killed himself, and Walker Percy, American fiction writer, didn't. Right. Walker Percy... Um, had depression and suicide ran in his family mm -hmm. and um and so he was like the perfect candidate as like this dark southern gothic american writer yeah. perfect candidate and we and we, we we you know sarah read from walker percy and the depression episode i think mm -hmm. and uh and and it was all about kind of escaping from escaping the prison of the self right like david foster wallace couldn't do that he was he was trapped in the prison of the self everything was always reflected from these mirrors onto his own ego or his own personality or his own mind. He could never get out of that. Yeah. He was so trapped in his own mind, constantly worrying about, you know, how he appeared, what people thought of him, how, uh, how he was going to be uh, handling the, these situations. Whereas Walker Percy was kind of focused outward on the world, on others, on the people in his life that he cared about. He escaped that prison. Right. I think that's, I think that's really key and in, insightful, I think, as well, because... When, when we're completely fixated on my own suffering and my own pain, mm -hmm. though that can be helpful, mm -hmm. you know, clinically and, mm -hmm. and, like, look at that, you know, pay attention to that. But I think there can also be this tendency to, to fixate on, um, I'm hurting, therefore, therefore, you know, the world is a dark place. Oh, yeah, it's like a projection. Yeah, exactly. The inner darkness goes onto the world out right. there. Yeah, that's great. That's great. I, think, I think helping people in almsgiving takes you out of the self. Tells you it takes you out of yourself. 100%. 100%. So then of course there's the last one which is prayer. The most important. Um yeah, I would say yeah, absolutely. Right? Remember I the hierarchy of goods we talked the about? The hierarchy of goods. Like well, like the um uh, Acadia? Acadia, yeah, the response to Acadia. Instead of sitting and praying, you'll go like alms give basically. Right. Absolutely. So and prayer is the highest. It's the highest. Prayer is I mean by far is the highest. And prayer is all about, you know, that kind of coming forth and expressing who you really are in the in the sight of god oh i here while you're talking about prayer i got to read a quote about prayer that right i recently came across but i think i think what's what's so amazing about it is like saint Teresa of avila who is just so hey are you, know, you uh championing a western theologian but a carmelite you know and the carmelites were first eastern an eastern order before they became uh, a western okay Wait, no no no, no I, i'm just kidding the uh the the saint Teresa of avila said that the end the purpose of the spiritual life or maybe even the psychological life is self-knowledge yeah which strikes people as a weird thing to say isn't that isn't the kind of narcissism we were just talking about how you should avoid and escape right but here's the thing when you know yourself then mm -hmm. you know i just i just preached about this last last week or two weeks ago i guess um three weeks ago now and when we're recording this it's <laughs> like it's about like this idea of i am both if i can see myself I yeah. can see myself as a hoarded sinner. Right, sure, sure. But I can also see myself as a redeemed child of God. Yeah. And both are true. Yeah, that's right. That's both right. are true. Because sometimes if you become a narcissist saying, I'm a redeemed child of God, nothing, nothing, you know, I'm, that's it. I'm great. Yeah. That's problematic. That's not virtue. That's not humility. That's pride. If you then throw yourself into this sort of self-loathing form of it, 
and saying I'm of pride. It's all about me, me, me. I'm, ironically, I think yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, it is, yeah. but it's not humility. That's the one. Certainly definite not thing humility. Not. No, humility is saying I'm a both end. Yeah, knowing yourself as you are, as God sees you. Absolutely, and that's what the positive psychologists have also started to say as well. You know <laughs> that it's that it's all about that mean in between the two vices. Oh, man. Of perhaps self. You're on a kick because you're reading a book about positive psychology. I'm supposed to be reviewing it. It's been and I'm on like a reverse kick because I just read uh, a book by Barbara Ehrenreich where she criticizes positive psychology. Maybe we'll meet somewhere in the middle then, huh? Speaking of the mean, <laughs> so this is a quote from um, a book by um, Archbishop Anthony Bloom, I believe in Eastern. Bloom, yes, yep, he's a phenomenal Eastern. Phenomenal well, Eastern. Just re- oh, go ahead, you'll quote him real quick and then I'll, I'll quote him the quote and then you'll... And I'll and you'll do the up. other quote that I love about him. Yeah, a friend posted this on uh, social media. Oh, then it's which, the one that you... Which is the good. one that I... You're stealing this one from me then. It's from his book, Beginning to Pray. And uh, he says, in the process of searching... You will have endured pain, anguish, hope, expectation, all the range of human emotions. God will have been the desired one, and he will have been the frustrating one. He will have been the one you long for and the one you hate, because he escapes you, the one you love beyond everything, without whom you cannot live, and whom you cannot forgive, because he does not respond, and many other things. And out of the search, there will gradually emerge words, which you can speak to God out of your own experience, of the quest for the grail, words which are your, your own. When you begin to hear a chain rattling on the door, when you have a feeling that it will open, then come out with the words which are your own and call God by the name which he has won in your own life. At that moment, you will have met. In the ever-deepening and enriching relationship that follows, you will have, had, you will have a great deal of time to discover other words, to discard words of hatred and anguish. Like the martyrs spoken of in the book of Revelation, you will say, Thou hast been just and true in all thy ways. And these words then will wipe out the words of bitterness, all the names that sound cruel. But you will keep the names which are personal, which are your own, and which will be a real relationship and a real way of being related to the living God. Dude's tips. I'm going to have to re-listen to that just to really kind of dissect it again. Anthony Bloom, beginning to pray, Eastern um, Eastern Orthodox, but, you know, Eastern um, sort of mystic, I would say. Yeah. My other favorite quote from him, I think it happens a few paragraphs down from that section, is, uh, God cannot save the sa- uh, the saint you think you are. Oh, that's so good. I feel yeah. like we've had that quoted on this podcast before. Maybe we have, but I, I think that's so true. And the reality with both of those, I think, both of those quotes is saying, you have to see who you really are in the sight of God. That's right. And, and in particular with my quote, the reason why it landed for me is the frustration of prayer. Prayer is so difficult in our like oversaturated, overstimulating world. Yeah. And we just sit there and we sit there and we wait for a response and we wait and we wait and there's nothing. And what Bloom is doing there is he's validating the normative experience of every Christian. There will be anguish. There will be frustration. You might even curse God out in prayer because he's not responding to you. But he's saying persevere through that. Yes, absolutely. So practically speaking, what does this look like though? You know, I think that this is really important. I think practically speaking, the important thing about prayer is that it's not just about um, sort of my extemporaneous that's important you know my experience of extemporaneous prayer when i'm sitting there and crying out to the lord with my own words Mm -hmm. but it's also about the sort of set liturgies the liturgical life whether that be liturgy of the hours in the west or the divine office in the east which is you know pretty pretty lengthy it's a both end Mm. kind of approach and so if you can pray morning prayer or matins if you can pray that 
then you should pray that. And you should cry out to the Lord. Mm -hmm. And you should read the scriptures. You should do all of these kind of combined. That it's not just it's not just simply, you know, one or the other. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a it's all and and I think use the prayers of the saints that have written, whether it be Saint David, um, the king, whether it be Saint Solomon, whether it be you know the different heg, you know the bif- different hymnographers in the East, whatever it is, use the words of the saints in prayer and use your own prayer mm-hmm. as well. It's a both and kind of approach. I feel like that's the that's like the whole thing. That's the whole um, that's what the church is all about. Yeah, both and. Yeah, typically when there's a binary option in the secular world, the church says both. Both, yeah. Or neither. And in, in my uh, rector, my former rector of happy memory, Father Bill Bear, he would always say, be a good Dominican, never affirm, seldom deny, and always qualify. <laughs> 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 I think that's, you know, that's, uh, that's very really true, good. you know, um, that it's, it's a both end. It's always there. It's always, you know, always a little bit more complicated, always a little bit more than that. So I think, I think the important thing is, is, the other thing that I would really say is, you know, we talked about this kind of idea of a growth mindset. We talked about, you know, we've talked about goals in the past. We've talked about these different kinds of things. Really, the important thing with Lent is if you're listening to this the week before, go into Lent with a seriousness and a plan. You will fail. And that's important. Thank you. You for will that. fail. Because at the end of Lent, you should be crying out in need for a savior. Mm. But go into it with a plan and an idea of what that looks like and really push it. Really push it. Do some now, grow, yeah, do some growing. Now, I think it's important to say, do it within the minds of what is healthy and healthful. Yep. And don't always, you know, that doesn't mean that you just simply, you know, say, well, I'm going to do an Eastern fast, you know, but but do it in a way that makes sense, but try. Yeah, and, don't, and, and, and if at all possible, don't do it alone. Yes. Yeah, do it with others. I think that's exactly the case. The village. Do it with the village. Do it with the parish. Do it with um, the family. I think that's really important. So, All right. Maybe we should leave it there. Prayer, fasting, almsgiving, no moist food. No moist food and you're there. good. You're and good you're good to go. to go. All right. We'll see you next time on the Catholic Psyche. Adios. Happy Lent.